This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon from our Palm Sunday services is by Deacon Brett Kroll and is part one of our Holy Week 2016 series. Palm Sunday is always a little bit of a liturgical yo-yo because you start out with the celebration and then the fun of the procession and then it leads us to the intensity of the passion account and Jesus' death and then it's back for the rest of the service to Palm Sunday. So yo-yo with me back to Palm Sunday. This is important because the story of the triumphal entry frames up for us and explains to us the significance of those climactic events that will happen later in the week of his death on the cross and then his rising again on Sunday. So here we are, Palm Sunday. Uh, Being a younger sibling, I am well acquainted with the agonizing frustration of futile resistance. So we were playing basketball with my cousins. My brother, who's three years older than me, had gone through puberty already. I had not yet. I was on the cusp. So he was much larger than me. And we were guarding each other, and I was getting tossed around like a beanbag. I had no chance. It was just he was bigger and he was stronger. And what was so frustrating is the harder I tried to defend him or the harder I tried when I was on offense to make moves, I, I couldn't stop him, and he kept stopping me. I was getting so frustrated. I was like, fine, I'm going to take this basketball and chuck it at your face. So I do. I I grab the basketball, I wind up, and I throw, and I release, and there he's five feet away, and very cool and casual, just kind of sticks out his elbow to block. And as I'm in the the follow-through, the ball hits square on his elbow and bounces straight back in my face. I get a bloody nose, and I'm thinking, I can't win with this guy. So frustrating. This was also the time when there were those commercials of the kids playing in the park, playing basketball. And when it's time to pick teams, the scrawny kid, it's whenever it's his turn to choose, an NBA all-star like Charles Barkley or Patrick Ewing steps up. And he's like, oh, you want to be on my team? And I'm thinking, that's what I needed. I needed somebody bigger and stronger to be on my side. You know, the people in Jesus' day were a lot like that, too. They were oppressed, and not just games here. They were seriously oppressed. And probably one of the most frustrating things about being oppressed is that you can't resist. It's futile to resist. Because the more you resist, the more the oppressor will press down and bear down on you again. And this oppression was also an individual thing that people experienced, and spiritual. What the Bible talks about is demonic oppression. And much of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons. That's a lot of what he did. And I think we know about that kind of oppression, too. Whether it's battles with habitual sin, whether it's things that may not quite be uh, an act of sinful behavior or attitude on our part, but it's just simply we are being attacked and oppressed by the evil one. Things like doubt, depression, anxiety come to mind. I don't know if you know this or not, but the spirit of heaviness, lays thick, especially upon our young people. And if you are a praying person, pray for our young people that the Lord would lift the spirit of heaviness. And of course, it's not just for our young people. But the thing that's so frustrating about these things is is the more you try to chase away the doubt or to relieve yourself of the depression or the spirit of heaviness, you can't. You can't do it on your own. The more you try, the worse it gets. We need someone bigger and stronger to come and set us free. In the story of the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to cast out evil. Not only in Jerusalem, but indeed the whole world. In fact, in John's account of the triumphal entry, after Jesus has entered the city, he's there talking with people and he says, 
now is the hour of judgment, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's speaking there of the devil, the evil one. And just as Jesus came to Jerusalem to cast out evil those many centuries ago, so too today he is here and he's come to the Jerusalem of our hearts to also cast out evil. Because yes, we need Jesus to do this for us today. We need it in our hearts. We need it in our church. We need it in our nation and our culture. We need the Lord to come and to cast out evil. And that's not to make us feel bad about ourselves. It's just a reminder that the process of detoxification, of getting the evil out of us, that it's a lifelong process. It's part of the reason why Paul says, uh, be transformed in the renewal of your minds. It speaks of a continual cycle of renewal. It's ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. So today, even as we celebrate Jesus entering Jerusalem and declaring his kingship over all earthly and all spiritual authority, so too we welcome him into the Jerusalem of our hearts. And we say, have free reign, cast out whatever evil is there, and fill us instead with your light and your life. So will you welcome Jesus into the Jerusalem of your heart today and this Holy Week? Turn with me in your bulletin or in your scriptures, in your Bible if you have it, to the story of the triumphal entry in Luke 19. The meaning of this passage and this story is crystal clear. In this passage, Jesus openly declares himself to be the king of Israel, the Messiah. Now, up to this point, he had not yet done that in his ministry. If you read the Gospels at the beginning, when he's casting out demons, they say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he's going, shh, don't tell anybody. And when his disciples figure out, yeah, you are the Messiah of God, he says, okay, but don't tell anybody. Not yet. It isn't the time. Well, now's the time. It's ripe. It is the appointed time. And Jesus is now openly declaring himself to all the public, I am the Messiah. He's throwing down the gauntlet. See, he has not come to Jerusalem for a picnic. He's come to do battle. Now, at this time, it is Passover, which is one of the three festivals of the Jewish calendar that require all the Jews to come to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is filled with multitudes of people. And you, you know that many of these people are those who had seen Jesus in their villages and towns doing mighty works, miracles, and casting out demons. And so there's, there's this hype that's beginning around uh, him. Who is this guy? And, and it's Passover, so the remembrance of God's deliverance of Israel at the Red Sea is fresh in their minds. When Moses confronted Pharaoh, the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, and Israel was free. And you know it's on their minds. And they're wondering, is that going to happen again? Is Jesus, this Jesus from Nazareth, is he our new Moses? And will we experience that same deliverance again? Now would be a great time for that. It's Passover. So the hype is beginning to build. Uh, you know what hype feels like? Remember back a couple months ago? Hashtag episode seven hype. You don't even have to say Star Wars and you already know what we're talking about, right? So remember that, the hype around episode seven of Star Wars and then multiply it many times over. And if you're like, well, Brett, how many times? Seven times? I say to you, not seven times, but 70 <laughs> times episode seven times more over. And then you start to get a feeling of what was in the air at that time. In verse 37, as Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem, it says that the crowd began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. 
And again, John's gospel tells us something that Luke doesn't, that right before this, Jesus is in Bethany, right? The same village that's mentioned at the beginning of our story. Who lives in Bethany? Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Oh yeah, he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So they're excited. And they're wondering, is now the time? What is he going to do? Excitement is building, but so too is the tension, because the leaders in Jerusalem, they don't like Jesus. They're jealous of him. They don't want him to succeed, and they're actually trying to kill him. In fact, they're not only trying to kill him, they're also trying to kill Lazarus. It's like, give this guy a break. He's thinking, I was just dead last week, all right? (laughs) So excitement, anticipation, but also hatred and opposition. And all is at a fevered pitch. And right into this fevered pitch, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, go get a donkey. Them's fighting words, right? (laughs) All right, let me explain because they actually are. What what is happening here is there's a reference, there's an allusion to Zechariah 9, which is a prophetic passage that says, rejoice, O Zion, sing aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, because your king comes to you, humble and riding on a, not kangaroo, donkey. He's riding on a donkey. So when Jesus says, go get a donkey, this is, it's not just because he's winded. He's like, man, that was, that was a long walk from Galilee. I, 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 need, uh, I need a breather for these last 400 yards. No, it's symbolic. And everybody would have known what that symbol meant, right? Going back to Star Wars. In the same way that you could go to anybody in our day and age and say, may the force be with you, we know what you're talking about. Even if you're not a Star Wars fan, you know that it's Star Wars when somebody says, may the force be with you. And if you're an Anglican and a Star Wars fan, you might say, and also with you. (laughs) If you're alive in America this year, you know what that's about. So these messianic prophecies, like Zechariah 9, they were part of the Jewish culture at that time. They knew them like kids know their comic book heroes. So when Jesus goes to get the donkey, I, when I was a kid, I always got bothered by this story because it sounded like Jesus was being a little bit of a bully, going and stealing some little donkey. But really, the owners of that donkey would not have begrudgingly handed over because they say, why do you need the donkey? And when the disciples replied, the Lord has need of it, you can almost see them, the Lord, wink, wink, has need of it. And the owners of the donkey, they're ecstatic. Yes, take the donkey. And they're spreading the rumor all around town. Jesus took the donkey. Jesus, he's got the donkey. And all of them, the signals are going off. It is time. He's doing it. He's openly proclaiming himself as the Messiah. Which is amazing because in the gospel reading, remember the beginning, Jesus said, look, if I told you I was the Messiah, you still wouldn't get it. All right? because the leaders, they were so blind. But it's so clear when you're reading this passage, that is exactly what he's saying. The secret is out. I am the king. What's interesting about that Zechariah 9 passage, if you go back and look at the context, the context of Zechariah 9 is all about God's judgment on Israel's enemies, his raising up this Messiah king figure, establishing and restoring Israel into a new golden age. That's what the surrounding passage is all about. In fact, the verse right before the humble and riding on a donkey verse is this prophecy that says, and no more shall any oppressor march over you. That's what's in everybody's mind as Jesus comes riding this donkey down the valley. 
As he's drawing near, the crowd also begins to sing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quote from a psalm. And likely, Luke's not going to quote the whole psalm, but probably they were singing the entire psalm. It's Psalm 118. And what is significant about that psalm is it is the psalm of royal entry. Whenever the king entered the city on official business, the people sang Psalm 118. It's like our hail to the chief. What is interesting is in the psalm, the words are, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the multitude changes it and they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. If it isn't clear already, if we have not been emphatic enough, let us be all the more clear and emphatic he is our king. He's the Messiah. And when the, when the Pharisees say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples, he accepts what the disciples are doing. He says, no. If they are quiet, their stones will cry out. He is very clearly declaring himself to be the king. And there are only two responses. To join in the procession, to welcome Jesus with joy and gladness, or to resist. Teach, rebuke your disciples. And truly, this is the beginning of a week of confrontation after confrontation. Jesus is in the, the temple every day. He's preaching and he's teaching, and the people are hanging on his every word. The leaders, they don't like him, but the people, they're all about him. And he's preaching sermons. There's one sermon that's entirely warnings and woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you for this. Woe to you because you do this. Woe to you for this. This is in front of all the people to their faces, to the Pharisees' faces. That's intense. And not only the Pharisees, but the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, every segment of the ruling elite of Jerusalem. He holds no punches. He's going after them. It's game time. It's like final round in the Scripps National Spelling Bee or March Madness or whatever floats your boat. But all of that confrontation with the worldly rulers is really just a small picture of something deeper and much more important and much more eternal that is happening. See, Jesus has come to Jerusalem to cast out the demon, Satan himself. Remember again, John 12, now is the hour of judgment, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus is framing up for us what is the work of the cross and what is the work of the resurrection. What is it? to do, it is to set us free from the demon. So as we remember the triumphal entry, as we celebrate and join in with joy, it's not just a, a dead remembering, it's a living remembering, and this is what I mean by that. By the Holy Spirit, who is God, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us today. As we entered in the sanctuary, he came in with us. And he is here declaring again his kingship, his authority, that he is the Messiah and that he's come to cast out evil. And it may be that uh, you have said, well, yes, Jesus, you're king, and you may cast out the evil in my heart. Maybe that you've done that a thousand times in your life. It may be that you're here and you've never done that. It doesn't matter. Either way, what is important is that we all can today say, Jesus, you're king. I welcome you into the Jerusalem of my heart. We all can do that, and we all need to do that. So today, what's your choice? Will you receive Jesus into the Jerusalem of your heart? Now, for the most part, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
you regularly do that. You welcome Jesus in and say, yeah, dislodge the sin in my life. Or hey, yeah, set me free from the lies of the evil one that I've been believing. But sometimes, isn't it the case that we don't want Jesus to come into the Jerusalem of our hearts? Because there's a sin or there's an idol that we'd rather hold on to. And instead we say to Jesus, ah, you know what, I prefer you to be in the Galilee of my heart, out there on the periphery, three days journey away, where you're doing nice things like healing and turning water into wine. That's nice. I don't like it when you come to the epicenter and you confront my sense of authority and my values and my priorities. You see, in Jerusalem was the temple, which was the seat of worship. There's only one temple. There's only one Jerusalem. And we, we know that if Jesus comes into the Jerusalem of my heart, he's going to make his way to the temple eventually. And he's going to look around and he's going to see, all right, is there anything in here that you are worshiping alongside of me? Is there any idol? Is there any false god that you're clinging to that you are looking to as a god instead of me? And he might come in and say, money is an idol for you. You love money. And don't you know my word says that greed is idolatry? Don't you know that the love of money is the beginning of all kinds of evils? And so Jesus would say, repent, and I will cast it out. Or it might be he comes and he, he sees an idol. Oh, there's autonomy. You love to do what you want to do and say what you want to say, and you don't want anybody to tell you what to do, even God. He's saying, nope. My, my word says that love does not insist on its own way, that to obey is better than sacrifice, and the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. So don't resist. In fact, repent of autonomy as your idol, and I will cast it out. And, and whatever it might be, other idols that he sees. But I also say this. Sometimes it's not sinful behavior or a sinful attitude that we are carrying. Sometimes it just simply is truly an attack and an oppression of the evil one. We haven't done anything wrong. We just need to be free. Like doubt, depression, the spirit of heaviness, those kinds of things. Those are things that are not necessarily sinful on our part. Those are just things we need to be set free of. So whether it is sin or whether the lies of the enemy that we've been believing, either way, the solution is to say, Jesus, I welcome you to the Jerusalem of my heart. You are the king. And because you're king, you are stronger than the spirit of heaviness. You are stronger than the idol of money. Jesus, you are king, and you are stronger than my anxiety. You are king over my anxiety. That's a prayer I've prayed a lot this week. And that's how we receive freedom. Because every single one of us needs freedom. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, forgive me if this sounds arrogant to you, but you need freedom from yourself. You need freedom from sin, from death, and the devil. And Jesus is the only one who can set you free from those things. But praise God, he can and he will. All you have to do, declare Jesus is king. So as we come into the rest of Holy Week, what I encourage you to do is for yourself, but also for our church and for our nation and our culture, listen, what are the things that Jesus has come to Jerusalem to dislodge? What is it that he's wanting to cast out? It may be sin. It, it may be not sin, but lies of the enemy that we're believing. What is it that Jesus wants to cast out? It may be that through your journey of Lent, you already know right away, oh, God's been working on me around perfectionism. Jesus, you're the king of my perfectionism. Whatever it might be, 
This Holy Week, and even today as you come to the Eucharist, declare Jesus your King. I receive you into the Jerusalem of my heart. Be King over these things. And let that influence your prayers this week and your worship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.